As it's the end of the year, we thought it'd be a nice idea to run through some of the main events that took place in 2022, in what we're calling our yearly briefing. So without wasting any time, let's get straight into it, starting with January. January began with protests in Kazakhstan, continuing from 2021. These nominally started due to an increase in the price of liquefied natural gas, but they began to spiral from there. So much so that on the 5th of January, Kazakhstan had to introduce a nationwide state of emergency. Then on January 23rd, in the African nation of Burkina Faso, President Kabore was overthrown by the military, who said that his government had failed to deal with an Islamist insurgency. January ended, though, with a different government managing to retain power, specifically the Socialist Party in Portugal who, led by Prime Minister Antonio Costa, won an unexpected majority in the general election. February began with a raid by US Special Forces in Syria that killed the leader of the so-called Islamic State. Then on February 4th, China and Russia put out a joint statement opposing NATO expansion and pledging cooperation in a number of key areas. Then, in perhaps the biggest event of the year, Vladimir Putin launched Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine after months of building up its forces on the border. This invasion was met with widespread condemnation, with Russia isolated from much of the international community and hit with successive rounds of escalating sanctions. March began with a continuation of the war in Ukraine, with Russia seizing their first large city on the 2nd. The capture of the port town of Kherson came amid further shelling in the rest of Ukraine by Russian forces. Then on March 9th, South Korea held its presidential election, which was won by the Conservative People Power Party, who narrowly defeated the ruling Liberal Party. Then in mid-March, protests erupted in Sri Lanka against the government's economic mismanagement, shortages of essential items, and high inflation. Then towards the end of the month, the Democratic Republic of Congo was admitted into the East Africa community. April began with Russia's retreat from areas around Kyiv after its assault on the Ukrainian capital didn't go as planned. Ukraine then accused Russia of committing war crimes as evidence of civilian killings in places like Butcher came to light. The UN then voted to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council and the war began to push global food prices to their highest recorded level. Then on April 4th, in momentous news, the TLDR daily briefing made a glorious return. Having been cancelled a year earlier, the show was able to return thanks to the hard work of Ben Blissett, Rory Taylor and Scarlett Watchorn. In fact, Scarlett should get most of the credit because she's the one that's actually editing what I'm saying and making me look good. Thank you, Scarlett. Then on April 10th, Imran Khan became the first Prime Minister of Pakistan to be ousted after losing a vote of no confidence. The politician and former cricket star was replaced by opposition leader Shabazz Sharif. Then, after a first round of voting on April 10th and a second and final round on April 24th, Emmanuel Macron was re-elected as the President of France, defeating far-right candidate Marine Le Pen, albeit with a narrower margin of victory than when they last faced off in 2017. Slovenia also held elections on the 24th, with the incumbent Conservative government defeated by a new green liberal freedom movement led by Robert Golob who became the country's new prime minister. May began with the unfortunate news of a new monkeypox outbreak, 
with the first cluster of cases detected in the United Kingdom. Soon after this, on the 9th of May, the Sri Lankan Prime Minister resigned following huge protests in the country. And just three days later, he was replaced in office by his successor. Staying on the topic of changes in government, the very same day the Philippines held their general election, in which Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr., son of the country's late dictator, and Sara Duterte, daughter of the outgoing president, were elected as the president and vice president, respectively, in a landslide victory. Then, a week later, on May 15th, the leaders of Sweden and Finland announced their intentions to apply to join the NATO military alliance, prompted by Russia's war in Ukraine, marking a significant and historic shift from their decades-old policies of neutrality. On the ground in Ukraine, things were changing too. On the 16th, Russia finally took the key port city of Mariupol after a brutal siege that ended with Ukrainian troops surrendering after weeks of holding the industrial complex. Closer to the end of the month, on the 23rd of May, Australia's Labour Party defeated the incumbent Liberal National Coalition. Anthony Albanese replaced Scott Morrison to become the country's new Prime Minister and ended Labour's near-decade of opposition. Then, on the first day of June, voters in Denmark voted in favour of participating in the EU's common security and defence policy by scrapping a three-decade-old opt-out. This referendum was obviously held within the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and growing fear within the region. Germany also made a significant political decision in early June, also in response to the war in Ukraine. The Bundestag, Germany's parliament, voted in favour of a constitutional amendment to create a 100 billion euro fund to beef up its armed forces. One conflict which did come to an end in June, though, was on June 14th, when Canada and Denmark settled their ongoing disagreement about an uninhabited mound of rock called Hans Island by agreeing that it should be split in half. This put to rest a decades-old jovial conflict referred to as the Whiskey War. Then, just a few days later, on the 19th, Colombia elected its first leftist president when guerrilla fighter-turned-economist-turned-politician Gustavo Petro won the second round of the vote, with him defeating his populist businessman opposition. Then, on the 24th of June, the US Supreme Court announced its landmark decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, eliminating the constitutional right to an abortion after 50 years within the country. In early July, a colonial-era law from Antigua and Barbuda, which criminalised same-sex relationships, was struck down as unconstitutional by the Eastern Caribbean Supreme Court. Similar anti-gay laws would then be struck down elsewhere in the Caribbean, like St. Kitts and Nevis in August, and most recently, Barbados in December. On the 7th of July, Boris Johnson announced his intention to resign as the UK's Prime Minister after a series of scandals that culminated in unprecedented mass resignations from his government. But them's the breaks. A day later, on July 8th, Shocking news came out of Japan that the country's former Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, had been assassinated while giving a speech. Abe was the country's longest-serving Prime Minister and had only stepped down in 2020. The month of July also saw a record-breaking heatwave hit Europe, 
causing widespread droughts and wildfires across the continent. Finally in July, on the 31st, the US Central Intelligence Agency carried out an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan, that killed the leader of Al-Qaeda, the man who became leader after Osama bin Laden's death in 2011. August started with a controversial visit by the US House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who visited Taiwan to demonstrate the United States' unwavering commitment supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. However, memes began circulating immediately that the visit could start World War III. Fortunately, it didn't, but violence did break out between Israel and Palestine from the 5th to 7th of August after Israel launched what it called preemptive strikes on the Gaza Strip, prompting a firing of rockets by Palestinian militants towards Israel. After three days, though, Israeli and Palestinian militant groups agreed to a truce, but not before some 49 Palestinians died during the clashes. A few days later, on the 9th of August, Kenya held its presidential election in which Deputy President William Ruto was elected with 50.5% of the vote. And while his opponent contested this very close result, Kenya's Supreme Court ruled that the election was both free and fair. Then, later in the month, news emerged that author Salman Rushdie had been stabbed as he was about to give a public lecture in New York. He survived the assassination attempt, but sadly lost his sight in one eye and the use of one hand. Then, on August 17th, there was a diplomatic breakthrough between Turkey and Israel, who announced that they'd be restoring full diplomatic relations, including the reinstatement of their respective ambassadors, after years at odds with one another. Unfortunately, August also saw the worst of the severe floods that submerged much of Pakistan and resulted in the deaths of more than 1,700 people, with the government referring to it as a climate catastrophe and appealing for international aid. September then began with the UK getting a new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who won the ruling Conservative Party's leadership election to replace Boris Johnson. Two days later, on September 8th, Queen Elizabeth II died aged 96 at Balmoral Castle in Scotland, with her son Charles then becoming king. She was the longest reigning British monarch ever and had only celebrated her 70th year in June. Then, on a September 11th, a general election was held in Sweden. The ruling Social Democrats, led by Magdalena Andersson, lost power after a block of right-wing parties won a narrow majority of seats. On September 16th, protests erupted in Iran following the death of a young woman in the custody of the so-called morality police. Her supposed crime was allegedly violating Iran's hijab rule by wearing a headscarf improperly. Italy then held a snap general election on September 25th that was triggered by the collapse of Mario Draghi's national unity government. This election was won by the right-wing bloc, of which the far-right Brothers of Italy are the largest party. As such, Giorgia Maloney subsequently became Italy's first female prime minister, after months of inter-party negotiations. Then, on September 26th, Cuba voted to legalise same-sex marriage and adoption by approving a new family code in a national referendum. Speaking of referendums, Russian-backed officials held sham referendums in four regions of Ukraine occupied or partially occupied by Russia. 
On the back of these so-called referendums, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the annexation of Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and Zaporizhia, even though Moscow doesn't fully control any of these four regions. Just hours after Putin's proclaimed annexation, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky announced that Ukraine would be officially applying for NATO membership, something that Russia vehemently opposes. NATO first promised Ukraine in 2008 that it would one day be able to join the military alliance. But even after its official application, Ukraine will not be admitted into the bloc while it's in a state of war, meaning that Ukraine is still not a NATO member. On the final day of September, the 30th, the government of Burkina Faso was overthrown in a coup d'etat, just eight months after coming to power in its own coup. October then began with a flurry of elections in Latvia, Bulgaria, Bosnia and Brazil. Latvia delivered a victory for the incumbent prime minister. Bulgaria's election was its fourth in 18 months, with forming a coalition proving difficult and the country still being run by a caretaker government. Early October also saw the OPEC plus group of oil producing nations defy US pressure and announce that they'd be cutting oil production by 2 million barrels per day in order to shore up oil prices. Then in mid-October, the week-long Congress of the Chinese Communist Party was held in Beijing. Xi Jinping was re-elected as General Secretary of the party during the event, securing an unprecedented third term as China's paramount leader. But while China's leader was solidifying his position, the UK's leader was losing hers. After just six weeks in office, British Prime Minister Liz Truss announced her resignation following weeks of financial and economic turmoil sparked by her ill-fated tax-cutting mini-budget. I am a fighter and not a quitter. I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. She was then replaced a few days later by Rishi Sunak, who was elected uncontested by fellow Conservative MPs to become the UK's first British Asian and Hindu Prime Minister. Towards the end of October, Elon Musk, the then world's richest person, completed his $44 billion purchase of Twitter, a move which continues to be controversial and which led to him losing his top spot as the world's richest man. The month ended with the second and final round of the Brazilian presidential election. Incumbent hardline conservative Jair Bolsonaro was defeated by his left-wing rival, ex-president Lula. Then, November 1st saw two elections, one in Israel and one in Denmark. Israel's election was its fifth in three and a half years and was triggered after the broad governing coalition collapsed just a year after taking office. The right-wing bloc then won this election, putting ex-Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on course to return to power this time with the support of ultra-nationalist right-wing parties. While Denmark's snap election saw the red bloc of left-leaning parties win the narrowest of majorities. Unsatisfied though, the country's prime minister wanted to form a broader coalition, and after a record-length negotiating period, she formed a government of her social democrats, the brand new moderates, and her party's traditional centre-right rival, the Liberal Party. Between November 6th and 18th, the United Nations Climate Change Conference on Climate Change Mitigation, also known as COP27, took place in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. During this period, Ukraine also retook the city of Kherson from Russia, which had been the only regional capital taken by Russia since the invasion began earlier in the year. 
Shortly after, on November 15th, tensions surrounding Ukraine were heightened after a missile crossed the border into Poland and killed two people. This was the first incident of a missile landing and exploding in NATO territory during Russia's invasion of Ukraine. An investigation determined that the missile was likely a Ukrainian air defense missile that had gone astray, so NATO didn't officially need to get involved in the conflict. Three days later, on November 19th, a snap election was held in Malaysia after years of political instability. In a first for the country, it resulted in a hung parliament. But in the end, though, the country's longtime opposition leader was appointed by the king to be the new prime minister and form a unity government. If you thought things were going to slow down in the lead up to a new year, you'd be wrong. Because on December 2nd, the G7 and European Union agreed to impose a $60 per barrel price cap on Russian oil, with the goal of preventing Russia from profiting from its war of aggression against Ukraine. Then on December 7th, the Chinese government decided that it would be relaxing its zero-COVID policy, following huge protests from across the country that even threatened to destabilize President Xi's regime. As a result of the relaxation, COVID cases began rising significantly in China. Also on the 7th, Peru slipped further into political crisis when President Pedro Castillo was impeached, removed from office, and charged with rebellion and conspiracy after he tried to dissolve the opposition-controlled Congress ahead of an impeachment vote. Protests and demonstrations, which sadly turned deadly, then broke out across the country, calling for fresh elections. The 7th of December was also a dramatic day in Germany, as police arrested 25 people suspected of plotting to violently overthrow the government, with the suspects said to be part of a far-right movement. An election in Fiji was then held on December 14th, and appeared to bring an end to the 16-year tenure of the country's prime minister. Then, on December 16th, the Japanese government announced its biggest military build-up since the Second World War, amid the, quote, severest and most complicated national security environment since the end of the war. Later in the month, on the 18th, the World Cup came to an end and was won by Argentina, who defeated reigning champions France in a match which is already being referred to as one of the greatest of all time. The tournament was held in Qatar amid controversy around the country's human rights record, including its treatment of workers and persecution of women and LGBTQ people. All in all then, 2022 was a real mixed bag of a year. It was a year where most of the world finally managed to break free of COVID restrictions and where the West stood together against a common enemy. Russia. But it was also a year that saw tens of thousands of deaths in this Russia-Ukraine conflict, as well as huge protests in a number of countries over authoritarian leadership and governments around the world struggling to control an inflation and cost of living crisis. 2022 also saw the deaths of some of the world's most important political figures, including Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, and the last leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. It's fair to say then that after two years of COVID, many were hoping that this year would be a year of celebration and a time to rejoice. Unfortunately though, it was anything but. Ultimately though, we'll be back here in the new year, trying to explain 2023 as it happens and breaking it down in our daily briefings. 
So if that sounds good to you, then be sure to subscribe to the channel to be updated every single day on the news you need to know about around the world. And by the way, if some of that depressed you a little bit, then you can get our summary of just the most uplifting and happy news stories of 2022 exclusively on Nebula. Now might be the time to do it, as there's an offer which gets you a year of membership for less than $1 a month. That's huge because Nebula subscribers not only get everything you've already watched ad-free, but also an extended edition of the show every single day, available to watch on Nebula or stream on your podcast app of choice. They also get access to a ton of other exclusive ad-free TLDR content, as well as videos from all your favourite creators. The good news is, like I mentioned, our friends at CuriosityStream, the streaming service which offers you some of the world's best documentaries, is offering an incredible deal whereby you can get both platforms, CuriosityStream and Nebula, for less than $12 a year. That's all the documentaries you could want on CuriosityStream, and then more TLDR content on Nebula, including the extended briefing, other full exclusive TLDR videos, and it's always ad-free. Click the link below to get both services for less than a dollar a month, a deal which doesn't last long, and support the channel.